Harry Potter. Oh, Harry Potter. 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 And the Half Drunk Podcast. Welcome back to Harry Potter and the Half Drunk Podcast. I'm Emily. I'm Sam. This week we are jumping back into Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince. I almost did it again. Um, <laughs> I just should introduce these deep dives. But <laughs> yeah, so we're diving back in. We got quite a bit of content to hit this week. But again, still like, in my opinion, not as much as Order of the Phoenix, the deep dives. But Yeah, I mean, we, we have some big things that happen like meeting Voldemort's family and Quidditch and Slughorn parties but yeah it still doesn't seem like it's building at the same pace that Order of the Phoenix does maybe because we don't have a super villain to hate right, right now yeah I, I yeah agreed but <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah do you want to hit us off with the drink of the week yes so this week's drink is named after the namesake of this book it's the Half-Blood Prince cocktail, which is brought to you by Half-Baked Harvest. And in it, we have a quarter cup of pomegranate juice, an ounce and a half of bourbon, which I'm using wild turkey. Thanks, Heather, for the Christmas present. A half ounce of raspberry liqueur, and then lemon juice from half of a lemon. And so you put that all, and also a tablespoon-ish of maple syrup, and then you put that all into... A shaker with ice and shake it up and then strain it into a glass and I personally find it to be delicious it's really good really really good and like really sugary but like you know <laughs> it's fine I mean I held out on the maple syrup but I used everything else that it called for and it's just really tasty and it's really good bourbon cocktail which yeah. is right up our alley but also yeah. it's a beautiful drink. It is. It's really, really pretty. It looks like a potion that the prince would make. It but does. Also, I feel like for some reason that it, it doesn't really belong to the Half-Blood Prince. It, like the, the whole tone of the drink feels a lot different than I feel like the tone of the potions book that Harry has that the prince has written all over. Maybe it's like the Half-Blood Prince after Harry puts the new cover on it. So it's like the content's great, right? And then it's just pretty now because it has a new cover. So I guess, yeah. <laughs> um, we're going to go with that. <laughs> but, so, yeah, so that's our drink. And I really think, you know, we should just kind of... We got a lot start, to cover, so... Start hitting the summaries and everything. So we pick up... In chapter nine, the Half-Blood Prince is where we're picking up with our Half-Blood Prince cocktail. So basically this chapter kicks off in the Gryffindor common room and Harry is kind of filling in Hermione on what he overheard in the Slytherin compartment. And Hermione is also doubtful about Draco's maybe being a Death Eater and his whole new connection to Voldemort. And she is more concerned about Hagrid and what he's going to feel when he realizes that none of them are taking his class. And then Harry runs into McGonagall 
when before they're getting their schedules and she asks why he's not continuing with potions if he wants to be an Auror and he's like well uh I didn't get the OWL score that I needed and McGonagall tells him that luckily for him Slughorn has lower requirements and Harry can continue taking it which is why Harry doesn't have a potions book and why Harry now is gifted the Half-Blood Princess potion book. There's also at the beginning of this chapter when McGonagall's kind of talking to all the Gryffindors about their schedule. There's a really sweet moment between her and Neville that I really just wanted to call attention to real quick. So in the American versions, that's page 174. And basically Neville is, his grandmother has given him a lot of crap for not having to be able to continue a transfiguration because he didn't get a high enough test score on his OWLs. And she's just like, it's high time your grandmother learned to be proud of the grandson she's got rather than the one she thinks she ought to have, particularly after what happened at the ministry. So it's just kind yeah. of nice that she's giving Neville this kind of reinforcement that you're coming into your own and people should be proud to know you. And you don't really see McGonagall, the side of McGonagall like explicitly too often. Like, you know that she cares about her students, right? But... I think showing that she cares about Neville, who some people may unfortunately view as the least of these, it just is a really nice tender moment between them that I think just is some character development that we should pay attention to. Yeah, for sure. And then also on page 174 of the British version of the book, which is a little past that, it's when they're already in Slughorn's classroom and they're coming into the classroom and they see all the cauldrons with the different potions brewing in them harry is inhaling and they're a gold colored cauldron that was emitting one of the most seductive scents that he'd ever smelled and somehow it reminded him simultaneously of treacle tart the woody smell of a broomstick handle and something flowery that he thought he might have smelled at the burrow which is also (laughs) the smell that he gets whenever jenny's hair is whipping around him so foreshadowing point that little thing out yeah so this first chapter i think really my favorite part is we get just a classic sharice sassy harry moment that (laughs) i think is really just the chef's kiss if you will the crown jewel in your sassy harry moments so it's when he's in defense against the dark arts with snape he's already on it on edge oh my god my southern came out he's already on edge (laughs) jeez sam's the one who just went to kentucky not me um he's already on edge and just getting really bad vibes from snape because at this point he's convinced still that he's just a terrible person but anyway they're practicing nonverbal spells and uh Harry attacks Snape, basically. And Snape's like, do you remember me telling you we are practicing non-verbal mm-hmm. spells, Potter? Yes, said Harry stiffly. Yes, sir. There's no need to call me sir, Professor. Ugh. The words had escaped him before he knew what he was saying. Several people gasped, including Hermione. Behind Snape, however, Ron, Dean, and Seamus grinned appreciatively. Honestly, <laughs> so this one's a classic. And I want this like tattooed on my body because I just feel like no need to call me, sir. (laughs) This is just so like Harry Potter in this whole situation. Like 
Is he a great character? Yes. Does he respect authority? Hell no. And this is like the exact moment that you can see that illustrated. Like, yeah. Oh, God. But, you know, Snape gives Harry detention and then Harry kind of wiggles his way out of it because Dumbledore has more pressing matters to attend to with Harry and coincidentally wants him to come for his first lesson with him the night that Snape is supposed to have his detention with Harry. So... Harry goes to Dumbledore's office and they start talking and Dumbledore says that it's time for Harry to know all that he can and Harry's like well I thought that you already told me all that you knew and he's like and so I did at the end of last term but I just want to say that whoever Humphrey Belcher is he is my hero because Dumbledore quotes him as saying he was woefully wrong and <laughs> thinking that the time was ripe for a cheese cauldron. But I, too, Humphrey, believe the time is ripe for a cheese cauldron. And I would be all ears <laughs> on this pitch. <laughs> yes. Bring it to the Half Drunk Podcast. And we'll if it invest. is a cheese cauldron filled with queso, please fucking bring it to California. Because <laughs> I need it in my life. Oh, my gosh. Well, anyway, this chapter, House of Gaunt, is... Honestly, one of my favorite chapters of the whole series, Mm -hmm. just because you know me and you know that I root for the underdog. And I also like when characters are like super complex and we get like an out of left field kind of hook, you know? So just like having this kind of backstory that really makes you feel so, so bad for Voldemort's mother, yes. as you should. Yes. And then also, at the same time, you start empathizing with, like, Voldemort. arguably yeah. one of the most evil beings to ever exist. And not even us. Like, Harry does as well. Like, he says he doesn't, but he does. He starts yeah, feeling he some does. type of way when he's thinking about Voldemort's mom and her abuse. And then even when... Later on, they go to the orphanage. Dumbledore asks him, could you possibly be feeling sorry for Voldemort? And he's like, no, no way. You crazy? But, mm. yeah. But in this chapter, we see two horcruxes, um, the ring and then the locket. Mm -hmm. And Harry is starting to connect the dots a bit because he recognizes the ring as the ring that Dumbledore had on his finger Mm -hmm. and then on his desk. So anyway... Voldemort's grandpa is like this evil Matthew McConaughey and he <laughs> <laughs> All right, all right, all right. All right, all right, all right. Um so he's like this evil Matthew McConaughey and Voldemort's uncle is this like super racist person who just thinks he's above everyone else and his poor mother, she's not a squib, but she has been abused to the point that she has like completely just receded into herself and is their servant and she's in love with tom riddle this handsome rich muggle man who's super smug and kind of everything that you love to hate right yeah but yeah you just you feel really bad for them but his uncle and um his grandfather get put away because they threaten a minister official and because they've been like torturing muggles right so they get put away, and she runs off and, you know, finds out, oh, I actually do have magical powers, and seduces Tom Riddle. By means of love potion. Yeah, I mean, I do like, though, that, there, you know, Dumbledore kind of threw it up in the air to debate whether it was the Imperious Curse or love potion, and he was kind of like, I'm more impartial to believe that it was a love potion, and that she was just, like, acting out of 
you know, kind of a girlish crush that she wanted to come into fruition. Right. So, again, like, Dumbledore believing the best in people. Um, While we're not saying that, like, drugging someone is good, I mean, it's obviously better than using the Imperius curse upon them. Either way, it's manipulative, but, you know, lesser evil, maybe. Making them in love with you and not just out of their mind and not control of themselves, I guess. Right. I mean, I know, you really do feel for him, but at the same time, it brings us back to our podcast we had ages ago of, like, is it nature or is it nurture? Like, is he just evil because he's evil? Because we do see that in his relatives, right? Right. We see them preaching the same kind of shit that he preached. We see them just, like, torturing people for the fun of it, which he loves to do. We also see them kind of being reclusive into themselves, which he is the definition of that. So, I don't know. Maybe it is more nature. But he also, again, when we get to the orphanage chapter, that's also kind of a nurture thing. So, I don't know. Basically, I feel bad for Voldemort, okay? (laughs) (laughs) I mean, yeah, I think we make a case for both nature versus nurture. If we really dive into any type of serial killer or person who has had a lot of childhood trauma which Voldemort surely did have and I'm gonna call him Tom when he was a kid he was still Tom even though he hated being called Tom when little Tommy was a little boy he had mommy issues he had a lot of mommy issues and look at pretty much any murderer or evil person and guess what they have mommy issues so I, I think it's, it's both. all about that first year. It is all about that first year bonding with your parents. And if mommy doesn't love you, well, you you can't really love anybody. So there you go. Yeah. But anyways, so Harry leaves Dumbledore's office and he notices the ring that Dumbledore was wearing. And he Dumbledore tells Harry that he got it around the same time he injured his hand and then Hermione also notices that Dumbledore has been out of Hogwarts frequently, and presumably he's out doing order business. And then it's already time for Quidditch tryouts, and... Yes, Quidditch tryouts. (laughs) I love Quidditch tryouts, and I really love, before we get to that, when they're at the Great Hall, and, you know, Harry's like, why are there so many people trying out? And then Hermione's, like, talking him up, and, like telling him like all these girls like are like really digging him now and all these reasons why and ron's getting like furious oh yeah he's so uh, he's so jealous i this whole book he's just so jealous he is i mean and even we get some accounts of him from like luna and hermione and other people that are really spot on about his character like he is driven by his fear of not being seen and not being as popular as his friends and not having the glory that he wants. And it comes out in very ugly ways towards people that care the most about him. And even, like, his jealousy towards Harry, his jealousy towards Hermione with the whole crumb thing and the whole Slughorn Christmas parties and just Slughorn dinners in general. He's very, very jealous of this book and very just, like, jaded. Yeah. But then we also see at the beginning of this chapter... um, that Stan Shunpike was arrested. Mm-hmm. So it just kind of goes to show that you can't always judge a book by its cover. But Harry, like, is inclined to not believe that he's a Death Eater. Like, he refuses to believe it. 
Right. Yeah. He's like, how could Stan Shunpike be a Death Eater? It's like my sneaker being a Death Eater. I don't understand. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, then we have we have Quidditch tryouts. Uh, a bunch of Hufflepuffs and Ravenclaws try to try <laughs> out for the Gryffindor team. Um, Lavender is like a little pop-up on your computer that you just want to like keep clicking out of. She just keeps coming up. And it's just not going anywhere. <laughs> and then there's Cormac McLaggen, who is like the most boastful human being on the planet. He's so full of himself. And honestly, he's better than Ron. But if it wasn't for Hermione's helping hand, which is the title of the chapter that we are discussing. She was looking out for her man. I mean, okay? Cormac, like, which one? <laughs> no, Ron. no, I know. But Cormac <laughs> would have made the team if Hermione hadn't have. confunded him and made him zoom the opposite way of the quaffle. And, you know... Ron saved all five. So there you go. He's on the team. He is. And then we get a very awkward encounter at the end of this chapter. The three of them go down to try to visit Hagrid. I feel so bad for Hagrid in this. He wants nothing to do with that. I don't blame and him. Honestly, rightly so. Yeah. They should have told like, him. That's, given they're a heads shady up. bitches. Yeah. You could have ha- and they could have taken it. They could have They taken didn't even that class. think about it, honestly. Like it mattered that little to them that they didn't even think we should probably tell Hagrid before this term starts what our career aspirations are and how like it just doesn't make sense for us to take it. It's nothing to do with his teaching style, it's nothing to do with the subject matter. We just have to take other classes for what we personally want to do for the rest of our lives. And even if that wasn't completely true, that's what they could have said, at least up front. But no, they didn't even think about it. But then he kind of makes a good point of asking if they've applied for time turners, because obviously he knows about Hermione's past um, experience with them. And then Hermione brings up a great point that I just want to point out (laughs) right here. We couldn't have done, said Hermione. We smashed the entire stock of Ministry Time Turners when we were there last summer. It was in the Daily Prophet. Yep. So okay. where the fuck were they in Cursed Child? Like how they? I'm going to just, I'm going to read that one, <laughs> one more time. <laughs> we smashed the entire stock of Ministry Time Turners when we were there last summer. So this is in the 90s. Apparently not. JK, did you forget this little passage here? Can we help her out with the page number? Good lord. In the American versions, it is page 231. Yeah, and then on in the British version, it's page 218. We couldn't have done, said Hermione. We smashed the entire stock of Ministry Time Turners when we were there <laughs> in the summer. It was in the Daily Prophet. Oh, nope, it's the same. No, no confusion. Time turners are gone. (laughs) All right. I think we beat the dead horse and I think we made what we were trying to say very clear. Okay. So moving on. (laughs) Yeah. But also Ginny made the team. Yes, she did, bitch. Yes, she did. She did. And then Harry is still dodging Slughorn because he really doesn't want to come to any of his parties and you know, he kind of then tried to actually use the party to get out of his detention with Snape, and Snape was like, um, no. So, yeah, he has to serve that. And then, you know, he's still obsessing over Malfoy. Right. Again, it's a theme, just like the pop-up with Lavender, <laughs> like his obsession with Malfoy. It's not even just Malfoy that's popping up, it's just Harry's obsession with him. But 
then, you know, we get into the next chapter, Silver and Opals, and Harry is getting a little obsessed with his Half-Blood Prince book. Like, he really is doing good in potions, and he's seeing all of the different... And Hermione hates Oh, yeah, Hermione cannot stand it. it, because one, Harry's doing better than her. Two, the book is just befouled. And three, she just thinks it's morally wrong, which I tend to agree with her when Harry's just going around using spells that he has no idea what they do, like he does to Ron. He uses Love of Corpus on Ron, and it's nonverbal, which they have been practicing, but he does it. And then Ron, all of a sudden, is lifted up from his bed and just hanging in the air upside down, and Harry's like, oh, shit, like, I saw my dad use this spell before. Maybe my dad's a Half-Blood Prince, and he goes on this long, like, rant in his head about how his dad could possibly be the Half-Blood Prince, but his dad is full-blood, so how would that work? And maybe his dad just thought he was... Anyways, I still don't approve of it, because... I mean, obviously, later in this book, we see how it can be really damaging at this point. At least Ron wasn't really hurt, but I still think that that could have been a clue that, hey, maybe you shouldn't be listening to all the things that this half-blood prince dude is saying and using his spells like Hermione is encouraging him not to do because she is saying, yeah. like, this prince character seems kind of dodgy. So he is, he is, he is, yeah. and honestly, like he ends up being super dumb. I mean, but, yeah, are we surprised? Um, yeah. So I mean, yes, I think you're a hundred and ten percent right. I Harry just he has a tendency also to like, you know, he likes to be the chosen one. As much as he hates the spotlight, he does like to be good at things. It's just like he comes by it very naturally. I think from James, <laughs> but even from Lily, she was the top of her class. You know, mm-hmm. so. When the, I think the moment that he beat out Hermione and, like, brewed the perfect potion and then won the Felix Felicis, that was done for him. Like, he trusted this book. Like, it gives him, like, another superpower that he didn't have before. I think he's also intrigued by the mystery of figuring out who the Half-Blood Prince is. Like He just, like, really shouldn't be. Like, after he, like, found Harry, you should just not diary... <laughs> And, like, wrote in it and then fell through the diary and walked around <laughs> and, like, that whole situation happened. Like, I agree with Ginny and Ginny calls him yes, out. Yes, Ginny was pissed when she found out that he was listening to a book. Yeah, she calls him out. And, you know, did you not learn anything four years like, ago? Did I hear correctly? <laughs> you, you are taking directions from a book that someone has written in? Yeah. Really? It's just a whole thing. But then they go to their first Hogsmeade visit of the year and it's honestly kind of awkward this whole part like he kind of attacks Mundungus Fletcher it's like a whole thing and then they're walking back and Katie Bell is cursed and she's on the Quidditch team so we have heard her name many times before I mean could you even imagine like you're given this package and or your friend is given this package in the bathroom and (laughs) she just like touches it and rises into the air like no it's freaking crazy and of course harry takes it as oh it had to have been malfoy malfoy gave it to her which he was right i mean he was right but that was just the conclusion that he jumps to without any evidence really and then that it just furthers everybody being like harry why are you so obsessed with malfoy like you got it 
you got to think about something else, yeah. babe. Mariah Carey, like, really is playing the entire time <laughs> that he talks about Malfoy. Because, honestly, at this point, it's a bit much. Like, we get it. You think Snape is evil, and you think Malfoy's up to no good. This is where all the fan fiction comes from, is this book right here. Yeah, it really is. If you think, like, Drary's a thing, this is your origin This, this is where you get your foundation for it. But I do want to point out, speaking of couples... Um, that this book is just escalating and just oozing and dripping with the romantic tension between Ron and Hermione. And yes, I agree, but it's not like how it is. I'll get to this, I think probably next week, but it's not rom-commy. No, it's like very, it's very natural and it has grown because we've seen it grow since they were like 11. Right. But, but I do right, think that it is, is now romantic. a lot of tension though. You know, like, when they go in after Harry is calming down, after confronting Mundungus, and they're sitting in the three broomsticks, she says, Ron, what are you staring at? Nothing, said Ron hastily, looking away from the bar. But Harry knew he was trying to catch the eye of the curvy and attractive barmaid, Madame Rosemerta, from whom he had a long nursed a soft spot. I expect nothing's in the back any more fire whiskey, said Hermione waspishly. <laughs> so, you know, then it was a little awkward after that, and... It's just those comments you wouldn't make if it was just your friend that you didn't care about, like, in a romantic way. Like, only a girl who was, my, like, into a guy would say that, in my opinion. Oh, yeah. And I mean, like, honestly, we've all been there. Yeah. And I, and I, it's honestly fun, because when she's, like, teasing him about this, like, I can remember teasing people that I was friends with who I had a crush on. And it's just funny. I don't know. But I honestly, it's... You know that, like, the next in the next chapter or so, like, I get real pissed at Ron. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. I, I'm holding on to these little moments. Right. But it just keeps getting more and more obvious. And even Harry yes, is starting to notice. And he's obvious. like, oh, gosh, I had a feeling this would come. And he doesn't want to yeah. have to pick sides between his friends. And he doesn't want something bad to happen, like, if they were to break up. So, anyways. Right. Yeah. It's, it's building. It's coming. It's it's a coming. <laughs> All right. So then we're, we're going to our second lesson with Dumbledore and the secret riddle. And this one is all about Tom as a kid. Little Tommy. Little, little Tommy boy. So, you know, t- Dumbledore is telling Harry. I guess D- Dumbledore's not really telling Harry. Dumbledore's memories are telling <laughs> Harry, <laughs> um, you know, kind of what happened with his mom. Like, she just kind of died. And Harry, like, really took offense to this like no said harry quickly but she had a choice didn't she not like my mother your mother had a choice too said dumbledore gently Mm -hmm. yes moreau brittle chose death in spite of a son who needed her but do not judge her too harshly harry she was greatly weakened by the long suffering and she had never had your mother's courage and now if you will stand and then he like takes him into memory but You know, it's really hard for Harry to wrap his head around, like, why someone would not want to be a parent or, like, would not want to hang on for their kid. Because Harry's parents gave him the ultimate gift of a sacrifice. Yeah. And, again, it all comes back to mommy issues. His mommy chose to save him. Tom's mommy chose to die. Yeah. But then, you know, like, baby Tom Riddle, he's a creepy little motherfucker. Like... (laughs) 
there's really no other way to describe it. Like, he's the omen kid. Like, he, he literally is. is. Like, he is Damien. God damn it. He is He awful. makes the nanny stand on top of the house and scream, it's all for you, uh, Damien. I will like, never forgive you Tom for Riddle. making me watch that movie, to be honest. You're welcome. So, yeah, other than his mother not being a jackal, like, this... Just the whole thing just really is the omen vibe. He's already showing signs of a serial killer when he's keeping his his trinkets from the people that he's tortured. He's and... hanging rabbits from the rafters. He's doing weird shit to people in caves. And Dumbledore, you know, if I was Dumbledore, I'd be looking back on this moment with hella regret and just thinking if only I would have put a stop to it right then. I feel like he does. And... You know, I think in the back of his head, this is one huge reason he's showing Harry this. Because, you know, Voldemort just didn't just happen overnight. There were warning signs out the ass oh, yeah. that this was there happening. There were warning signs when this child was 11 years old. I mean, for example, like, we talked about the trinkets. We talked about the torture. But I think this one really, like, gets me. So, Dumbledore is telling him where to go because... Like, to get all of his mm-hmm. supplies, because Tom has said he doesn't want his help. And yeah, he so, wants to do everything alone. Yeah, so, because he's the ultimate loner. And Dumbledore tells him to ask for Tom, the barman. Easy enough to remember, as he shares your name. Riddle gave an irritable twitch, as though trying to displace an ir- irksome fly. You dislike the name Tom? There are a lot of Toms, muttered Riddle. Then, as though he could not suppress the question, as though it burst from him in spite of himself, he asked, Was my father a wizard? He was called Tom Riddle, too. They've told me. And then Dumbledore has to tell him he doesn't know. And then he said, Tom says, My mother can't have been magic or she wouldn't have died. So I think, again, that kind of is a warning sign that mm-hmm. he thinks that he needs to be immortal now that he knows that he is a wizard yeah and that he you know likes he wants to be different he wants to be special he wants to be the best and that's something that Dumbledore calls Harry's attention to when they're discussing it after they come out of the Pensieve and is saying like I hope you paid attention to all of these signs that we saw here and Harry is like yeah I'm paying attention also I noticed that the uh ring is gone that used to be sitting on the table next to the mouth organ (laughs) and I had to Google, I confess, what a mouth organ was because I could not figure it out. And it's a harmonica. So I felt really stupid after that. But has anyone really ever heard of a mouth organ? Maybe again, it's our question that we got to throw to our British listeners. I don't know. I mean, it just makes me think of a body part. Yeah, I thought a mouth it was organ. a tongue it, at first. Yeah, like a mouth organ. Okay, like your gums, like your esophagus. I don't know. Anyways. I don't know. But then Quidditch is back. And I'm excited about it. So it's time for Slytherin versus Gryffindor. Yes. So Ron is like shit and bricks. And um, (laughs) (laughs) he is the color of a white wall. And he's sweating bullets. Um, And it's just like a whole thing. First of all, him and Hermione get into this little altercation about the slug club because Ron's hella jealous. And Hermione's like, well, I was going to ask you. And then she brought up McLaggen, and that was a whole thing. You're, like, the tension's just building and building and building. And it's not good at all. It's just really not good. So then they have Quidditch practice, and honestly, it's a clusterfuck. And Mm -hmm. Ginny is kind of, like, handing Harry his ass because 
he's not standing up about Ron and kind of, you know, turns a blind eye when it comes to his best friend. And she yeah. calls him on it. She's like, hello, like, what are you doing? Um, yeah, like, we suck. Yeah. And it's because of him. We suck and it's his fault. And then they walk in and she is snogging Dean Thomas. <laughs> they try to take a shortcut to get back to the dormitory. And lo and behold... A dragon starts roaring in Harry's chest, mm-hmm. and it is one of my favorite passages from this entire book because we all know how I feel about Jenny and Harry. Okay, I'm just going to read it really quick. When Harry pushed open the tapestry to take their usual shortcut up to Gryffindor Tower, however, they found themselves looking at Dean and Jenny, who were locked in a close embrace and kissing fiercely as if glued together. It was as though something large and scaly erupted into life in Harry's stomach, clawing at his insides. Hot blood seemed to flow in his brain so that all thought was extinguished, replaced by savage urge to jinx Dean into jelly. Wrestling with a sudden madness, he heard Ron's voice as though from a great distance away. Oi! So, yeah, I don't think Harry has ever felt this feeling of jealousy before, not even with Cho Chang, because it was such a slow burn. I mean, I think this really caught him off guard. I yeah. I don't think he really, you know, there's all these memes now about, you know, him, like, stealing and, you know, hooking up with Ron's sister, but he really... I don't think ever fucking expected to have these feelings for her. It's just, it was a very natural thing. They're interested in the same things. He respects her as a Quidditch player, as a person, as a very strong witch. He thinks she's hella funny. Yeah. I mean, it was just and very smells natural. really good. And he just, he tries to convince himself that it, his feelings for her are brotherly and he just can't do it. He just keeps, they keep building. Once he feels that feeling in his stomach, he can't escape it anymore as much as he tries to convince himself that the only thing he feels for her is, you know, looking out for her as a brother. It really, he can't hide the fact that actually I really hate Dean Thomas because I want to be kissing Jenny. Right. Anyway, then it's the the day of the Slytherin versus Gryffindor Quidditch match. Um, Ron is super nervous. Harry pretends to drug him. I guess that's a theme of this book. A little <laughs> bit concerned that <laughs> that's a theme. But he, you know, tips the little Felix Felicis in his drink. Not really, but he makes Hermione think that he did. And that's really all you need to do because she's not going to drop it. This was actually a genius plot yeah. by him. He Harry. knows her so well that he knows she's not going to drop it. He knows his friends. And he knew that if Ron just believed that he had luck, that he would perform. Yeah. So then Ron did a great job. <clears throat> Everyone played good, except for Harry. Harry got, like, a little distracted there a bit. Harry gets a little cocky. Yeah, yeah. So they win the match, and Ron probably had his best game he's ever had, and... Then, of course, him and Hermione get in this altercation because Ron... Okay, this is where Ron, to me, is just like, come on. So she calls Harry out. Ron, at this point, thinks that he also put that in his drink, okay? Mm -hmm. And then Hermione's just looking out for Ron and, you know, because she loves rules. And then he's like, you didn't think I could do that myself? Like, he turns on her, and she's like, that's not what I'm saying. He just looks for reasons to get pissed at her, because he's still so torn up that she made out with Crumb. Like, get the fuck over it. was two years ago. And then to make matters worse, as soon as he can, when they go into the 
common room later. Harry and Hermione are in there after Ron goes up there. Ron and Lavender just freaking snogging in the common room. And Harry's like, oh, hope Hermione doesn't see that. Well, guess what? She did. Well, it's okay. uh, Because then one of my favorite things that she does. So, (laughs) you know, she goes and she has her moment. She's upset about it. She's also doing her homework. True Hermione fashion. She's upset, but not enough to get behind in her schoolwork. Not to stop practicing her spells. Yeah. And then she sets a whole bunch of fucking golden canary birds onto him. Like, she's like, don't talk to me. Get out of my face. Here you go. And it's just yeah. like such a Hermione moment. And honestly, like, as much as I love Ron, I just, I love Hermione. And this whole reaction is so very me that I... <laughs> that like you go girl you get him he deserved all of that and i also feel like it just leaves no question left to either of them that they have feelings for each other and just like neither of them are willing to admit it yeah but anyway then again lavender is that little pop-up that won't go away in harry's life yeah and harry is forced to sit either with ron and lavender or with hermione who's kind of pissed off all the time because they're just they haven't made up they're still fighting and Ron thinks that Hermione has no right to be angry with him because, as we remember, she kissed Crumb. Two years and ago. And then, yeah. But in the meantime, Hermione's like spending most of her time in the library, and that's where Harry has to go if he wants to get away from Ron and Lavender. And Hermione warns Harry that she overheard a lot of girls, Romil Devane being their leader, planning to somehow slip Harry a love potion Again, for Christmas. Again, with the drugs. Like... <laughs> What is going around Hogwarts? The right love now? potion like, in here. Yeah, it's not okay. It's not it's like I, I don't. I don't know. But anyway, he has to invite someone to a Slughorn's Christmas party. He has to be very careful because obviously everyone wants to drug him now, and that's just concerning. I don't know why it's so concerning to me, but it really is. And also, he would prefer to go with Jenny, but but Jenny clearly, yeah, she's off with Jean. she's. She's going with Jane. Um, So anyway, he asked Luna, and I love that. And then at this point, uh, class had gone a bit wrong, and one of his eyebrows was yellow. And just in true Luna fashion, (laughs) she's like, is that why you did your eyebrows like that? Do I need to do my eyebrows like that? Should I do mine as well? Uh, I I just love her so much. (laughs) So they're at the party, um, and Hermione is, like, running from... (laughs) Frantically dodging McLaggen. Yeah, because he just won't stop. Ron is super pissed. Yeah, Luna is being just an amazing star on her own. Um, Trevani is very drunk. <laughs> when is she not? And then Malfoy gets caught. Trying to, well, he gets caught walking around the, the like, corridors. And obviously it's kind of, like, after hours because this party's happening at night. And he says that he's trying to go into Slughorn's party and that he'd been invited, which he gets caught in a lie. Filch catches him and... Then he's like, okay, I wasn't invited. I was trying to gate crash. And then to his horror, Slughorn's like, oh, it's all right. It's Christmas. You can stay. And obviously Malfoy really would rather be anywhere else than staying there. Yeah. And then Harry overhears a conversation between Malfoy and Snape because at this point he carries his invisibility cloak with him everywhere, which he should have done from the beginning. But he overhears that Snape made the unbreakable vow to protect Draco to Narcissa and so Harry of course has no idea what that is at this point but he's trying to like 
he overhears Snape saying that he's just trying to support him in any way that he can help Malfoy. He yeah. wants to and all this. Talking and, about his master. Yeah, and then Malfoy's really convinced that he's trying to steal his glory and be the golden boy. And basically everything that Snape says about Harry, Malfoy is saying it right back to Snape. Yep, and then Snape kind of ends the conversation by telling Malfoy that he's speaking like a child and that he understands that his father's capture and imprisonment has upset him, but so Snape's trying to make his point by saying, like, you only are thinking this because you think you have to bring honor back to your family. But listen, I'm really trying to help you, but Malfoy storms out, and then Harry is left crouching under his invisibility cloak, just processing what he heard, unable to really believe it, but also believing it because that's what he believed all along, and now he's just had the confirmation. At this point, like, yeah, he's right. Malfoy is a Death Eater. He has his confirmation now. Snape is still a Death Eater. He has his confirmation now. Literally, I don't think that Harry wanted to be right. I mean, I think part of him probably did, but I think overall he just, at this point, he's like, oh, shit. Things are about to get real. <laughs> like, no one's going to believe me. Yeah, like, his mind is racing. Right, that's his problem. It's like, well, now everything that I've heard has been confirmed, but I've been, like, crying wolf so long, no one even believes me, and they're definitely not going to believe me now when I say Snape is trying to help the Death Eater Malfoy. Right. Like, who am I supposed to go to? Dumbledore? Dumbledore doesn't believe that Snape is bad. So now he knows that he's right and feels even more helpless and on his own to do something about it. Yeah. But basically, I wrote a little summary of what (laughs) what all happened, because I think we should start doing this after just because it's about to get like heavy so here's my quick summary we're back at hogwarts and things are hella weird harry is obsessed with draco he's now good at potions thanks to the prince who is his new invisible best friend he's the quidditch captain he's realizing his feelings for Ginny. he wants to kill dean thomas he's learning about voldemort's past and sort of feels bad for him ron and hermione aren't speaking to each other because neither of them have the courage to admit their feelings lavender brown is a leech <laughs> dumbledore keeps disappearing girls are trying to drug harry Ron has his first girlfriend, and honestly, I don't think he likes her that much, but he felt bad because Ginny was harassing him. And Zachariah Smith is still a bitch, and some things will never change. <laughs> because yeah. uh, Zachariah Smith is now taking over for Lee Jordan as the commentator. The commentator. And he really just, yeah. like, won't let his feelings for Harry go away. So he was just kind of being an asshole. Yeah. That's a good summary. It's pretty true. Uh, well, I think... I think we'll just leave there. Next week, we are picking up with our second comparison of the film in the book. Can't make any promises if it will be as positive as our last one. Though, apparently, we should point out that we got an Instagram DM that said that this film is J.K. Rowling's favorite adaptation, which leaves much to think about. Also, someone sent me the interview where she said that. I'm not calling bullshit, but I just want to read it. (laughs) Yeah. I want to know why, if it is true. Yeah, because I, I, I feel like she'll give sort of an explanation if she gave that in an interview. But I don't know. It's not my favorite. <laughs> but, you know, I didn't create the world, so who knows. Right. Uh, right. But as always, you can find us on Instagram at HPHalfDrunk and also on Twitter. And Harry Potter and the Half Drunk podcast on Facebook. And join our uh, Facebook group, too. Right. And you can listen to us anywhere you listen to a podcast on iTunes 
Spotify, Stitcher Himalaya, all the good stuff. It's also available in a direct download link that we post each week with the episode. And while you're listening, feel free to leave us a comment, give us a review, give us a five-star rating. We appreciate all of that. And um, yeah, have a good week. Cheers. Mischief Managed. Thank you.